Good morning, Grace Covenant Church. My name is Andrew Woods, and I'm one of the elders here, and it is a joy this morning to bring to you the word of the Lord. If you would open your Bibles to Psalm 39. Psalm 39. As you're turning there, I want you to just listen to a few words. Just a few words that will help us as we begin this psalm. These words are breath, vapor, shadow, mist, vanity, idle, meaningless, and fleeting. All of these words that I just said help us understand one Hebrew word called Hebel. Hebel is repeated numerous times in our psalm this morning, and in this psalm of David, Hebel is referring to your life. We meet David in Psalm 39 during the dark night of the soul. This psalm is a lament, and it is a lament for good reason, but it is always darkest before the light. And so this morning, as we jump into Psalm 39, we are going to break it up into three different sections. We're going to break it up into verses 1 through 3 that are going to help us understand silence before the Lord. We're going to break it up into verses 4 through 11, which will help us understand this word, Habel. And then we will uh, finish it off in verses 12 and 13, which is a petition David will make to the Lord. But before we do all of that, let us read the word of God. Psalm 39, to the choir master, to Jadathan, a psalm of David. I said, I will guard my ways, that I may not sin with my tongue. I will guard my mouth with a muzzle, so long as the wicked are in my presence. I was mute and silent. I held my peace to no avail, and my distress grew worse. My heart became hot within me. As I mused, the fire burned. Then I spoke with my tongue. O Lord, make me know my end. And what is the measure of my days? Let me know how fleeting I am. Behold, you have made my days a few handbreadths, and my lifetime is as nothing before you. Surely all mankind stands as a mere breath. Selah. Surely a man goes about as a shadow. Surely for nothing they are in turmoil. Man heaps up wealth and does not know who will gather. And now, O Lord, for what do I wait? My hope is in you. Deliver me from all my transgressions. Do not make me the scorn of the fool. I am mute. I do not open my mouth, for it is you who have done it. Remove your stroke from me. I am spent by the hostility of your hand. When you discipline a man with rebukes for sin, you consume like a moth what is dear to him. Surely all mankind is a mere breath. Selah. Hear my prayer, O Lord, and give ear to my cry. Hold not your peace at my tears, for I am a sojourner with you, a guest like all my fathers. Look away from me, that I may smile again before I depart and am no more. Hear 
the Word of God. If you were coming in this morning hoping to have a happy-go-lucky psalm that maybe would fill you with encouragement, this might not have been the day to come in. But surely we will learn much from this psalm, and even in our attempts to pray it, hopefully in our own personal life, how we can use this psalm in our dark night of the soul. So what I want to begin with, as I stated, we're going to break it into three sections, and the first section is silence, verses 1 through 3. And in these verses, David shows us the proper response to God. We went over this in Psalm 38. I know you're all looking at your notes from that month already. And really we saw, how do we respond to the consequences of our sin? And one is waiting and being silent. And so David does this in verses 1 through 3. And we see that he begins this psalm with, he said, I said, I will guard my ways. David wants to be very specific about which way he will take. If he's going to take the path of the righteous or if he's going to take the path of the wicked. And so in order to guard his ways, the thing he specifically needs to do is that he needs to guard his tongue. He says, I will guard my ways that I may not sin with my tongue. I will guard my mouth with a muzzle is the word that he uses here. I think that's very interesting that David would use this idea of muzzling his own mouth. Now, back in that time, uh, they didn't have dogs as pets that they were walking along on the street, but now we do, right? And anytime you see a dog with a muzzle on its face while you're walking by, you're a little bit like, ooh, I don't want to get too close to that dog, right? Because there's a reason why you muzzle that dog. You muzzle that dog so it won't bite anybody, right? You don't want it to strike somebody. And David is saying, I'm doing that to my own mouth so my tongue doesn't lead me to sin. He's being really thoughtful about keeping his mouth shut. And as he does this, it kind of reminds me of Proverbs 10, 19. You don't have to flip there uh, if you don't want to. I'll jump there really quick. But this idea in Proverbs 10, 19 says, When words are many, transgression is not lacking. But whoever restrains his lips is prudent. It might be wise for us, although that isn't the main thrust of this psalm, to think about how we speak and how much we need to guard our own mouth. James chapter 3 would provide us some very... Uh, vivid explanation of what will happen when we don't. But David doesn't just guard his ways because of the possibility of sinning, but he guards his ways because the wicked are in his presence. So I want you to see the reality that this is shedding light on the situation. David is going to guard his mouth because there are wicked people in his presence, and by letting his... um, the things in his heart kind of come out in a way that might not honor the Lord, he can see a couple of reasons why he shouldn't do that if the wicked are in his presence. Number one, he doesn't want to be the scorn of the fool. We've already read that, right? As we read through Psalm 39. He doesn't want to say all of these things that he's experiencing so that the fool or the wicked would say, aha, see, where is your God? He's also saying these things because David is always He's always thoughtful about the namesake of the Lord and the importance of speaking in a good way about the Lord and in front of people about who the Lord is. So I wonder how careful we are about what we say, how much we say, and to whom we say it. 
but David progresses. We see in verses two and three, uh, I was mute, past tense, and silent. I held my peace to no avail. And I want you to see these words here that he's using. And my distress grew worse. My heart became hot as I mused the fire burned. What an interesting word picture for us to see and to really give us an x-ray into our own hearts when something is bothering us. Our distress starts to grow. We start to become upset. My heart became hot. As you'll recall, we've talked about the reality of someone becoming hot in the Psalms is talking about them becoming angry. So distress is growing. Heart is becoming angry. And as I mused or as I meditated on these things, the fire burned. There was a raging fire in David's heart. And then he spoke with his tongue. And so we see this progression overflow into him speaking with his tongue. He can't hold it in any longer. He was holding his tongue. He was muzzling himself in order that he would not sin. And so maybe we're thinking right at this point, oh, here we go. David's going to sin. He's going to let these guys have it. He's going to yell at the wicked or he's going to complain against the Lord in a way that would be sinful. But that's not actually what happens. We see in verses 4 through 11, David is going to focus on this word, habel. And he is going to make some requests, and he's going to have some realizations. So we get then, after he finally cannot hold his tongue any longer, this is what he says. Yahweh, he's calling to the covenantal name of God. Yahweh, make me know my end. And what is the measure of my days? Let me know how fleeting I am. As we have been working through this, um, or, or as we have already read through this, we see that David is experiencing suffering. We know why he's suffering, and we'll get to that in a bit, but he is certainly going through agony and through suffering. And he gets to a point where he cannot take it any longer that he literally asks God, God, tell me when I'm going to die. I want to know. This is so painful. This is so uncomfortable. Just let me know when I'll die. Help me understand what is the measure of my days so I may know how much longer I have to put up with this. How much longer do I have to be in this agony? But he doesn't just say that. It's not just a, a, a cry, a lament towards God saying, I'm in so much pain, just let me know when I'll die. It kind of reminds us of, of Job. I've been reading through Job lately. And Job will go through these times and his, his wife actually tells him, just curse God and die, right? Just, just get it over with. You're in so much pain. And, and really, Psalm 39 and Job have a lot in common. So David is just saying, let me know when I'm going to die. But then he makes that interesting turn. So this idea of let me know my end and, and let me know what the measure of my days are are kind of saying the same thing. But then let me know how fleeting I am. He wants to be reminded that he's not God. He wants to be reminded that although there is trouble in his life, his life is quick. It's moving very fast, 
and at a rapid pace. He wants to know how fleeting he is. Now, that might be easy for us to understand, but I want you to think about that for a minute, that one of the most powerful men in history, God's own chosen king, I don't think it's a stretch to understand that David, as the covenantal king of God, for time was invincible, untouchable, secured as God's chosen king, the one in which God had made a covenant with. And this David asked God to make him aware of how fleeting he was. He had all the things that people could only dream of, and he is asking him, please make me aware of how quick this life will go. And it seems as if this prayer that he makes, this petition that he makes is immediately answered in the following verses. Because David is very much aware of how fleeting his life is as he progresses. Behold, you have made my days a few handbreadths, and my lifetime is as nothing before you. Surely all mankind stands as a mere breath. Now, a handbreadth, I know you're all familiar with that, right? That's something that you use in your common vernacular. Um, I heard you guys talking about it in the hallway. That's a joke. I don't think I heard that. Um, but a handbreadth is a, is a unit of measurement. It's apparently three inches long. So David is saying, my life is like three inches long compared to, to you, Lord. You made my life three inches long. And then he continues, my lifetime is as nothing before you. Surely all mankind stands as a mere hebel. Surely mankind stands as a mere breath. A short measurement of time, nothing before God. See, this is the dark night of the soul because David is so aware that his life is just short. Something that all of us, in some way, shape, or form, are trying not to remember. Something that our culture would have us forget so quickly. You can live forever, do all of these things, eat this way. You'll be all right. You'll live a long time. But David, remember, this very powerful man is saying, nope, that's not right. It is God's timing, everything, and it is short. But then David continues. It's as if he hasn't had enough yet about how short our life is. Surely a man goes about as a shadow. In case you're wondering, shadows don't last very long. Surely for nothing they are in turmoil. I love this sentence that we're about to, to go over. Surely for nothing. Maybe you have a footnote there in your Bible. Because this word that's translated nothing is again, hebel. Surely for nothing they are in turmoil. There's, a, there's another translation. Surely as a breath they are in turmoil. David is saying, your life is but a breath? And you're wasting it on turmoil. You're wasting it on what you think is so important, what your desires are, what you think are the main things in life. And then he tells us, right after he calls this turmoil, being so short, he says, man heaps up wealth and does not know who will gather. Oh, David has us pegged. David has us all pegged. 
For all of us, we're just wanting that job will pay us a little bit more money. We're just wanting that thing that will grant us a little more security, a little more comfort, the nicer house maybe with two acres and some chickens if you live in Texas. We just want that little bit more. And so we are in turmoil to get it. And David is starting to sound like the preacher in Ecclesiastes, right? He's saying he doesn't even know who will gather it. Ecclesiastes 2. I'll jump there really quickly. Ecclesiastes 2, if you need some encouragement, maybe not going to Ecclesiastes, but Ecclesiastes 2 says, I hated all my toil in which I toil under the sun, seeing that I must leave it to the man who will come after me. And who knows whether he will be wise or a fool, yet he will be master of all for which I toiled. And under my wisdom, or and used my wisdom and under the sun, this also is vanity. That same word, Habel. He's saying, David is saying, the preacher is saying, that we are in turmoil for nothing as we seek and desire the things that are not God. As we have these desires to be comfortable, to have pleasure, whatever it may be, we are heaping up something and we have no idea who will gather it. It, it reminds me of James chapter 4. And we're going to go to James a couple times today. James chapter 4. <clears throat> And maybe you're familiar with these verses in chapter 4, verse 13. Come now, you who say, today or tomorrow we will go out into such and such a town and spend a year there and trade and make a profit. Yet you do not know what tomorrow will bring. What is your life? For you are a mist that appears for a little time and then vanishes. David is certainly seeing the fleetingness of his life, the corrupt desires of the heart of man, which leads him to center this psalm where he asks the question and reveals his hope. We come to verses 7 and 8. If you're looking at this psalm, this is about the center of 13 verses. And this is where we get the change in what a lament psalm usually has. We usually have just despair, 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 remembering who God is, and then I turn. And this psalm is actually not like that. It kind of goes out of order for a normal lament. But it lands here. So David can't hold it any longer. It comes out. When he's talking to God, he's basically asking God, just let me know when I'm going to die. How, long, how much longer do I have to take this? How much longer do I have to toil over things that aren't important? Help me understand. And then he comes to this question that I wish everyone in this room would ask. And now, O oh Lord, for what do I wait? That's a great question for you to write in your, in your Bible or in your journal or if you're taking notes, just write this down. And now, O oh Lord, for what do I wait? What is the thing I'm waiting on? What is the thing that I think will deliver me? What is the thing that will finally grant me this desire or, or pleasure or thing that I, I've always wanted? What is it? And David answers this question, my hope is in you. My hope is in you. 
David cries out with this question. And notice the wordplay that's happening here. He's focused so much on the brevity of life. And what is David doing? He's waiting. Even in the brevity, even in the breath, even in the vapor, the mist, the shadow, David waits. But it's important upon who he is waiting for. There's that application again that's just been gnawing at our souls, hasn't it? As we've been going through the Psalter, as, as Pastor Joel has been preaching to us from 1 Samuel, we have been hearing this application, and I hope you don't get sick of it. I hope you see it as the Holy Spirit beating you up in a good way. The application of waiting on the Lord. David waits amidst the brevity of life because his hope is in Yahweh. His hope, trust, faith is in God. He knows what God's done in the past. He can trust what God will do in the future, even in this dark night of the soul. And he follows that right away with, deliver me from all my transgressions. Do not make me the scorn of the fool. So we see that David is able to wait upon the hope of the Lord because he knows that God will deliver him. But hear me for a second. Before you take this psalm and you think really quickly, you're like, yeah, okay, cool. That's when I'm suffering in my life and I can use this psalm when bad things are happening to me. But David actually says, deliver me from what? Not from my suffering, not from the pain, but from my transgressions. This is a confession. David is confessing in this psalm God, I know what's happening here. I'm sinning. Deliver me. Deliver me from my transgressions. I am mute. I do not open my mouth. And you might say, wait a minute. We just saw the progression of him and he finally let it out. I think what we see in this psalm is either the wicked are no longer around or what David is talking about is that he won't talk negatively about the affliction that he's having. In fact, he's actually saying, it is because you're giving it to me that I'm going to take it. But that doesn't mean that I don't want it to go away at some point. Because he says, for it is you who have done it. The who done it. God has done it to discipline David. And then we continue, remove your stroke from me, for I am spent by the hostility of your hand. That should again ring some bells as we have been going through this idea about the hand of God that, that just presses in on us. In Psalm 38, it was, for your arrows have sunk into me and your hand has come down on me. Literally thinking that the hand of God is like an arrow pierced into your side. There's a great thing to think about. 32, Psalm 32, verse 4 says, For by day and night your hand was heavy upon me. My strength was dried up as by the heat of summer. David is saying, Your hand is heavy on me because of my sin. And then we get to see the poetry come out of Psalm 39. There's been plenty already. But really, um, when you're not reading it in the Hebrew and when you read it in the English, and the ESV at least in this part, it's, you, can, you can just read the poetry coming out. When you discipline a man for, when you, when you discipline a man with rebukes for sin, you consume like a moth what is dear to him. That is so good. 
This is so good because David is able to realize he's being rebuked and disciplined by the God of the universe. And in doing that, he's saying, God, as you discipline those who believe in you, what you're doing is you're like a moth consuming the things that are actually dear to him. So I know there's a lot of men in this church who wear some some snazzy jackets, right? I like them. I see them. I think they're sweet. Uh, One day you might see me wearing one of those in the pulpit. But there could be a day where you're wearing one of those jackets and, you know, you got that moth that ate a hole in it. And so this is a good word picture for our old man or the old self, the one that was uh, overcome by sinful ways. We have this jacket we want to keep putting back on. Although there's a hole in it, although God in his grace has been like that moth who just ripped up your jacket, man. Because what God is trying to show you and what David is explaining to us, when God disciplines a man, what he is doing is he's starting to eat away at the thing that you actually hold dear. And what do you actually hold dear? Your sin. That's what you want. That's what you have turmoil over for your whole life. That is the thing that you desire is this sin. You want to keep going back to it. But God is merciful when he disciplines us and he begins to tear away at this reality. And then David, again, he he ends this, this section where he has repeated Habel, 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 all over again. He ends it really nice with a bow for us. And he says, surely all mankind is a mere Habel. It's a breath. Your life is a breath, a mist, a vapor, a shadow. It's fleeting. And then, and then David goes to his last petition before the Lord. We see, hear my prayer, give ear to my cry, hold not your peace at my tears. What is David doing? David is crying upon the Lord to act. Hear my prayer, O Yahweh, and give ear to my cry, hold not your peace at my tears. There's an interesting understanding Um, that Jewish tradition has about these three different types of words. Uh, My prayer is your silent prayer that you do in your head. Uh, My cry is when my prayer actually becomes something that comes out loud. And then my tears are actually when you're uh, physically overcome with emotion and you are weeping and praying to the Lord. And they, I think they go a little too far with some of their explanations, but there was an interesting kind of background to that actually being something that they picked up on later uh, in Jewish tradition and would, would have different types of prayers around those three things. But David is quite clearly and emphatically crying out to God to hear him. So much so that he says, look away from me that I may smile again before I depart and am no more. David is in so much suffering that he's just asking God. Remember, the eye of the Lord is kind of like the hand of the Lord. That is justice being distributed. And what David is saying, just just stop. Just look away from me so I can have some sort of joy before I die. Again, David is quite clearly understanding the brevity of his life. 
And I, and I skipped a part in verse 12. We're, we're going to go back to it right now. But I want you to feel the lament of this psalm. I want you to sit in it. But then David is unable to understand, even in this lament, a key theme of this petition in all the lives of all God's people. Something that takes a lot of us time to come to grips with, and certainly something we still struggle with today. We are but guests in God's redemptive plan. I don't know why, but this really tore me up this week. You're a guest. This is David, the covenantal king. This is the one who's, who's spoken with God, right? Or he has had a covenant with God where he had, anyways, he, he's, he has this relationship with God that we could only, some of us would only dream for, although we have the Holy Spirit, so he's probably saying the same thing. But this, this real, tangible thing that is happening, and David says, I'm just a guest here. I'm the king of your people. I'm just a guest, a sojourner like my father's. He's not talking about Jesse here. He's talking about the fathers of the faith. He's talking about Abraham, Isaac, Moses, on and on. He's talking about all of these important people in the Jewish life. And he's saying we were just guests. Because our life is brief. It takes a long time to come to grips with. Most of the time, uh, we are under the uh, delusion that we're the main actor in life's story. But reality is, you don't even make the credits. You're extra number 4,000 or 4 million or whatever. Because God is the main actor in this story. It is his will, his decree, his redemption, his judgment. And then the psalm just ends. Like I said earlier, laments typically move towards trusting and even praising God. Here it says, stop disciplining me before I just die. Friends, there are no Hebrew syntax gymnastics to perform to give you a happy ending here. It just lands the plane. Our life is a mere breath. Our desires are typically vanity. And we should hope in God and confess our sins. That's how David stops. And honestly, I'm so thankful that God in his divine will would allow psalms like these to be in the Psalter for you and me to have. That it's okay sometimes not to be okay. And you come in here and you smile, and people ask you how you're doing, and a lot of the times it is. It's, I'm doing well, man. And other times is, I wish God would stop disciplining me before I die. I want to hear that in the hallway. And then as your pastor, we'll have more conversations to help. So let me do this. As we come to a conclusion, let me review. Just summarize a couple of things that we've talked about today. I want you to see that the theme here is that our lives are short. We are not promised tomorrow. That in our sufferings or discipline, we are to wait on the Lord, confess our sin, 
and hope in him no matter what the circumstances are, even if they don't seem to be getting better. We trust in the one who delivers us from our sin. So here are two big themes that I want you to realize this psalm is talking about. Number one, this psalm is talking about your life. Let me tell you what this psalm has told you about your life. Your life is fleeting. Your lifetime is a few hand breaths and nothing before God. Your life is a mere breath, a shadow. Your life will have turmoil as you labor and desire nothing of internal importance as you labor for idols. Your life is but a guest in God's redemptive plan. That can be hard sometimes for us to hear. Number two, who is God? What does this psalm tell us about God? We can see it by how David prays to him. O Lord, make me know my end, and what is the measure of my days? Let me know how fleeting I am. What does this tell us about God? That God knows the end from the beginning. God knows every single thing that will happen in every single life ever. God is all knowing. That's one thing we know about God from this psalm. Another thing we can pick up from this psalm, David says, Behold, you have made my days a few handbreadths, and my lifetime is as nothing before you. So, what is this telling us about God? His existence is unquantifiable, meaning we can't even realize how incredible God is or who He is. We know enough, Scripture is sufficient to tell us about God, but we will never know everything about God. It's hard enough for us to be able to confess that God was never created, that God does not age or change, that God will never die. God is ase, meaning he is of himself. He knows all things. We're unable to fully understand him. He is outside of, of time and being able to be quantified. What else do we know about God from this psalm? He is worthy of hope. He is worthy of hope because he is able to deliver us from our transgressions. God is able to deliver you from any circumstance because he is what? all-powerful, the only one able to deliver you. If David is able to cry out to God, deliver me from all my transgressions, we see that God has the power, the only one that has the power to deliver. What else do we hear about this song or about God in this song? God disciplines those he loves. Friends, God hates sin. And for those who are his, he disciplines them so he can consume what is dear to them and to make himself the thing that is most dear to them so that they will no longer desire sin. And then finally, what we hear about God or what we can understand about God from this psalm in verse 12 
is that God hears our prayers. So this all-knowing God, who is actually the exact opposite of the word that we've been studying today again and again, Hebel, which means fleeting, vapor, mist, vanity. God is the exact opposite of all of those things. So this all-knowing God, the exact opposite of Habel, the exact opposite of a mere breath, the one who can deliver you from yourself because of his mighty power, because he hates sin and will discipline those he loves, also hears our prayers and cries for help. So this leads me to a question that David already asked. Here's my question for you in the seats this morning. What do you wait for? What do you wait for? After considering who God is, it seems ridiculous to look towards anything else. Who else would you wait for if not God? Whatever it is, it cannot stand remotely close to who God is. Do you wait for your good works, your toil over your wealth, your being a good person? Here again, your life is a mere breath, a vapor, a mist, a shadow, vanity, fleeting. Are you waiting for those other things to bail you out? For who should you wait, friends? For the Lord. You should put your hope in Jesus Christ. This Jesus is the one who was the scorn of fools, who was mute and didn't open his mouth. The one who took the strokes and the hostility of the Father's hand. The one who was consumed for what was dear to you. The one who the Father looked away from and then was no more. The one who delivered his own from all their transgressions. All glory be to Christ. By his blood we are made clean. We are delivered from our transgressions if we put our faith in him. And when we do, we can realize that our life is Habel. We can realize that, yes, this is short, but it is in Christ in whom I hope. It is the God who knows all things, who I place my trust. And although this life might be Habel, eternity won't be in the arms of our Savior. Let's pray. Oh God, all glory be to Christ, that he would save sinners like all of us that all we need to do is put our faith in him and repent of our sins. And although our life might be a breath, for eternity we will bask in the glory of God. There are no words we can sing. There are no poems we can write. There are no things that we can meditate that will help us fully understand the beauty of what is to come. But we have hope in you, Lord. We trust in your name. We trust in the work of Christ on our behalf. This morning as we go to feast as friends, as family, as believers in Christ, let us not remember or forget the fleetingness of our lives. Let us actually do things in this life 
that don't show that we are toiling for vanity, but that we are toiling for what you have told us to do. Father, deliver us from our transgressions, from our sins this morning we have yet to confess. Father, deliver us. Our hope is only in you. Nothing else can save us from our sins. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen.